Two small town girls living in a big city, chasing even bigger dreams. Meet your hosts, Kylie Benami and Sophie Longford. These two high fashion models have discovered that life outside of their hometowns isn't so simple. Talking all things fashion, wellness, fitness, and all of the messy things in between. Welcome to the not so simple life. I love it. Hi guys, thanks for being here. You are all in for a treat with this one. Our guest today is Carly Skyrotino, also known as Carly Slut Eva. Carly is a writer, television host, producer, sex blogger, and fellow podcaster who is redefining sexuality. Carly is determined to reclaim the word slut to represent a person who seeks out visceral experiences through sex and who isn't ashamed about it. She is the mastermind behind Vogue sex column called Breathless. Carly is bringing all of the transparency today and let's just say that no topic is off limits in this one. Dad, now is the time to stop listening. Let's get into it. Hello, hello, hello everyone. So... I have to talk about this because you might have just heard in the intro, I said, Dad, now is the time to stop listening. Are you ready for this, Soph? I'm ready. Oh, my God. Okay. So my dad's like so happy I'm doing this podcast. He's like, oh, so proud, proud dad, super cute. He just got a new boss at work and he's like, yeah, my daughter has a podcast. She lives in New York. She's a model. And the guy's like, oh, show me the podcast. Like, show me an episode. That's so awesome. The first one my dad brings up is Sasha Cobra, <laughs> full body orgasms, oh, no. sex talk, the whole shebang. He plays it and my dad's like very excitable. So he plays it and like we say something, sex, orgasm, something. And my dad's like, dip, dip, dip. oh my oh, God, no. I am so sorry. So <laughs> sorry. Wait, did he not know that it was about that? I had no idea. He just was like, yeah, here we go. Newest episode, pressed play. And his boss is like, whoa. She needs to watch her mouth. And my dad's like, Kylie, really, like, really thanks for that. So there had to be a disclaimer in this one. Yeah, to be honest, I don't know if my dad is listening to every single one. But if he is, I don't even want to know. Just don't tell me. Right. And I like to think my family's listening. I know my mom listens. Does she like the sex topics? She didn't say much on that one. I'm sure she loved it in secrecy. Speaking on a platform is like so odd, especially... A podcast because you actually don't know who's listening so on instagram you can see who's liking your photos who's viewing your stories but on a podcast like you have no idea like my grandmother could my agent could be listening like my high school principal i have no idea oh, you're so right that's kind of freaked me out i didn't think about it that way i wonder if there's people listening that don't like me that's all right Welcome. Welcome to our show. Well, I wanted us to get into the conversation about how modeling has desensitized us a bit about like changing and oh God. all of that. Yeah, what a subject. I mean, at the beginning of modeling, I found it so uncomfortable how they just expected you to take your clothes off and be naked in front of like a bunch of people. I literally was like, I don't like this at all. And as time goes on, you just kind of like have numbed yourself out to it. And you're backstage at a fashion show, taking all your clothes off. There's people everywhere, guys everywhere. And you just have to literally think like, it's okay. Everyone else is naked. They ain't looking at me. But it's actually such a weird situation. It's not good. 
It's so weird that we're so desensitized to it. I noticed last year when I was home at Christmas, I walked downstairs in just my thong and like my stepdad was downstairs and I was like, oh, hey, Kyle, sorry. Oh, and just like kind of covered myself. And he was like, what the heck? Oh, I'm not that desensitized. <laughs> it's so weird and not normal that I can just like strip down and not even notice, especially Sophie. Do you ever wear the little nipple pasty stickers? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I started wearing them to all my shoots and it's even better because now I'm like extremely extremely comfortable I just I'll change in front of anyone yeah so true it actually really helps I'd feel much more comfortable my nipples are covered I don't know why you know what it's also thinking about the people who you're changing in front of like okay I don't care but I don't want to embarrass this poor little man here I don't think you'd be embarrassed babe <laughs> oh I don't know I always think that but actually what really annoys me the most is when you are backstage at a show or a shoot and all the photographers think they can just come in and start snapping away that pisses me off that is so out of order. I yelled at my last show. I was like, you guys leave. Like, you have to leave. This is so sick. Like, it's just not cool. And like, they're like, ooh, I'm taking a photo of the clothes next mm -hmm. to you. It's like, yeah, sure well, fuck are. off because I'm in the background. As I'm getting older, I'm getting much more like vocal with it. And if someone does start taking pictures of me, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And then they get all embarrassed right. and they go out. But like, come on. It's way worse in Europe. In the US, it's not so bad. Like, they're actually like pretty on it. And the stylists and the people helping you dress will say, okay, no, out you go. In Europe, they don't give a shit. Yeah. Well, also, they are topless on the beaches in Europe. So they're True. desensitized there. But I think modeling is making so many great strides. I mean, now they're trying to be really picky about making sure that nobody comes backstage except for the dressers and the models. They're giving you private dress rooms now if you want them they're doing much better just because we're models doesn't mean we want everyone staring at our naked bodies like i look at the people who tell you to take your clothes off and stand there naked and i look at them and i'm like but would you and i'm sure they would never feel comfortable with us and you think of these poor little like 16 17 year old girls who just moved to new york like it's a lot because i was there and it was really awkward but anyways carly is coming on she's all about exploring sexuality getting into topics that maybe people don't usually talk about about and she's definitely bringing lots of transparency to this episode i hope you guys are ready are you ready i'm ready hi carly welcome to our show and thank you so much for being here oh my god thank you so much this makes me feel very cool <laughs> i guess we should start this off by having you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about how you became a writer specializing in sexuality and relationships yeah i've been writing about sex and relationships for a long time now. I started a blog called Slut Ever when I was in my early 20s, which, you know, got enough readership that I was able to then go and write about sexuality for places like Vice, where I ended up doing a documentary series called Slut Ever about sexuality. And I've been writing for Vogue for a handful of years in a column called Breathless. That's, again, my same topic of sexuality. And now I'm trying to write more for TV. And so I wrote a show called Now Apocalypse. It only had one season, but it's a good season. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that season? Yeah. So I wrote a show with, it was on Stars with this filmmaker called Greg Araki, who I grew up in love with. He's like a cult director from the 90s. He was basically known as being one of the pioneers of the queer cinema movement. And he made these movies called Nowhere and Doom Generation and Mysterious Skin. They're some of the best ones. And I really recommend that younger people who don't know about him go back and watch it because he really spearheaded like things we take for granted. Like now there's gay characters and on TV and in movies and you know 
bisexual guys and open relationships and these things that were not in movies back in the early 90s, especially in a normalized way where like the characters were just gay and that was a part of their life versus when gay characters started to come on TV in like the early 2000s, it was like, and that's the gay guy and his storyline is that he's coming out of the closet. You know what I mean? It's so powerful what you see in movies when you're young because that becomes the norm in what your life is. And it's so good that this is all becoming more normal and more seen because like it's going to have such a big impact on like the younger generations who are going to witness it and think like, this is totally normal. It's in all the movies. I think you're right. Like Visibility is enormous. I heard it said one time that you can't be what you can't see. And I think that, yeah, just being able to see like a normal gay couple on TV with kids who's married is life-changing for a little kid whose TV is his main view, you know, outside of his town. Yeah, totally. Well, you've coined the term slut ever in your new book, and we love it. But what is it about the word slut that you're trying to reclaim and change? First of all, slut is just a great word. I feel like it sounds good, very punchy. But also, you know, it's a word that is used so widely to harm and to put women down, you know, for the specific way that we have a sexual double standard where women are punished for having multiple partners where men are praised for. I mean, this is sort of like a long held understood thing. And I think definitely the double standard is fading. Like we are the beneficiaries of that. And the reason I'm able to have a job is because people are at least interested in female sexuality now in a way that they condemned in the past. But basically, I just felt like so many pejorative words have been reclaimed by the communities that felt oppression under them over time, like whether it's queer or fag, right, or a lot of racially derogatory terms. And I just felt like if you could do that for slut, if we could give this word less power to harm, the thing about how many young women, you know, if they're called a slut, be able to sort of brush it off and just be like, yeah, whatever, because they've seen women do that. It's almost like you can hijack it and use it irreverently rather than being hurt by it, you know? Mm. Like I remember... When I was younger, there's this band, Bikini Kill, which was sort of this riot girl band from the 90s. And the singer Kathleen Hanna used to perform, or at least she did sometimes, she would write slut in giant letters on her stomach and lipstick and perform. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. It's basically just like, I don't give a fuck, you know? Right. Because that would hurt in high school and middle school. Like, girls throw that around like daggers. Like, if you were called a slut, it's like, oh, you know, it never felt good. And it was always a word I feel like people used to harm other girls. So I think this is like a word that would be nice to desensitize. Totally. And I thought what's interesting what you just said is like, so many girls threw it around, you know, you think of slut as being a word that guys used to hurt women. But I think you're right. Like when you were in school, was it something that girls said to other girls? Yeah, actually, I I wasn't even thinking that as I was saying it. That's just like, obviously how it was, because I never thought just now to say like girls and guys, like, I feel like when guys would use that, at least in high school, guys are so excited about (laughs) all things sexual and like slut was maybe an exciting word for them. (laughs) But for girls, it was a nasty word. It was a word that like you called girls you didn't like, or girls who were too promiscuous for your taste, you know? Right. And it kind of sucks. It was like, Bell Hook says this thing, the patriarchy has no gender, which I think, I mean, it's sort of like a buzzword things to say, but I think it's pretty spot on where it's like these systems that are in place to put women down. It's not like only the men are in the system. What is it in Mean Girls? Where she's like, you have to stop calling each other sluts and whores. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it just gives the guys permission to call you sluts and whores. I would just adapt it to be like, you can call each other sluts and whores as long as they're terms of endearment. Mm-hmm. Well, how would you want the term slut to be redefined? I wrote about this in my book a little bit where 
I sort of see the word slut as meaning someone who goes after the sex life they want without shame, like who has sex with who they want, how they want, and like isn't ashamed about it. I mean, I think as long as you're not hurting anybody, that anything sexually is okay. Nobody's perfect. Like having no shame is sort of impossible, right? But someone who at least that's the goal to have sexual autonomy and is excited by sex too, right? Like seeks out visceral and exciting experiences about sex and for whom sex is like an important part of their life and sense of adventure. Like I think of slut like that. And I think something I do want to add, I think it's sort of like naive and cookie cutter to be like, and then I want to flip like the word slut from being something bad to being something great, you know? Like I do think that there's something provocative about the word and transgressive and like kind of naughty. And I think that those things are okay and fun to preserve, you know, like, it's fun to be bad. <laughs> Hello. Yeah, I love it. Well, okay, so I want to get into relationships in general. It's 2020, whether you're in a serious relationship or you're single, I feel like everyone needs a little bit of help and advice in the relationship department. And I know that you talked a lot about this in your podcast, Love and Quarantine. So I figured maybe we would start with the singles. What advice do you have for people who are single in 2020? How are they going to meet people? What's their love life going to look like? I know it's hard. Like everything is hard in 2020, right? So it's like, it's not that much of a hot take to say being single is hard in 2020. But Obviously, connecting with people that we love or that we, you know, connecting with new people is harder than ever. But I would say for the people that I know who have been dating during this period of time, some of what they talk about feels so old school and exciting in a way that, I don't know, I just find so interesting. Like something I'll just say to preface that is connected to what we were just talking about, we are of generations that had not really experienced long-term courtship. Like people we date and you know often we're like at least hooking up or making out with people on date one or even having sex on date one and like having sex pretty soon into relationships before monogamy before sometimes a label and those things are because we've made enormous progress in the world in terms of female sexuality like we said like we are it's not dangerous for us we're not going to be ostracized from society if we have multiple sexual partners but i also think that we have to acknowledge that through that, we've also lost something, which is like lost the experience of long-term courtship and dating somebody for a long time and really getting to know them before you get intimate. I mean, this is not everybody, but this is a lot of people. So I think what's interesting now is that the people I know, unsurprisingly, I'm friends with a lot of sort of slutty people, right? <laughs> and they've all been having a similar experience where you can't meet someone and have sex with them, you know, unless you're dedicated to being a super spreader. So they've been meeting up and going on social distance walks, which over the summer, I like, you know, they were talking about was so fun. Now I think as it gets colder, that will be harder. But it's this funny thing where eventually you know, meet enough times without being intimate, or without being being close, and they decide they want to do that. It's actually like they're sort of promising exclusivity to each other before that happens, because you have to be like, who are you seeing? Are you doing this with other people? Like, are you getting tested often? Like, or are you going to work? Right. And so you have to sort of include someone into your like little bubble or pod. The days of like being crazy. Well, who are you hooking up with? Are we exclusive? Is it just you and I? Like, that's a big thing now, right? Because you just got to make sure you're not going to get yourself sick, I guess. Right. Like, 
Totally. And it's actually so funny, Kylie. Like, I didn't think of it like that, which is like, in the past, you thought that you were like the crazy, obsessive woman to be like, who are you sleeping with? And like, are we exclusive? And like, what are you doing behind my back? Now it's like part of the script and guys care about it too. And I think a lot of people are having experiences that they wouldn't have had now, which are actually beneficial where my friend was like, I've never dated someone for more than a month and been exclusive with them before I had sex with them. It's like, it's so cool to be in love with someone when you're first having sex, because I never had the patience to do that before. Well, I think what's also going to be on the rise is phone sex and sexting because everything's becoming a lot more virtual. And if there's not so many in-person dates that can be done, everyone's going to be talking over dating apps or messaging. And what are some of the crucial tips for people who want to take it to the next level and they do want to start phone sexting? How soon is too soon to show that kinky side? And like, how can you be safe while doing that? I mean, I don't think that there's really a timeline. I think whenever you feel comfortable is the right time. I definitely would say, though, that if you don't know someone and trust them, that people should do whatever they want. But my recommendation would be not to like include any naked photos with your face, you know? Rule number one. Yeah, like sort of obvious rule number one. My rule for myself is that when I started dating my boyfriend, we were long distance for a while. And if we were going to have virtual sex of any kind, I was really vain and I would like set up the lighting so that I knew that I looked okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My recommendation would be if you're as vain as me, if you think you're going to have any kind of like FaceTime sex with someone to just like set up a light and like figure out where in the room that the lighting is good. So this way, like, you know, you're not worrying about like what angle you look good at if you're trying to come, which is like hard enough on FaceTime you have to eliminate all distracting factors wait but let's dive into this for a second like talk to us like we're stupid because I know a lot of people on here may be like phone sex what is that you know like just in case anyone hasn't explored this promiscuous side of them which is totally normal can you speak to us like we're stupid and explain phone sex simple as it gets that's smart okay so I guess phone sex the name of it originated a long time ago right like where people were just having sex on, you know, the actual telephone. And it's basically just talking in a sexual way or, you know, attempting to make each other come with talking, like talking dirty and like the traditional, like, what are you doing? What are you wearing? Right. And now increasingly people are having sex over FaceTime, which already was a thing, obviously, right? I was like talking about, I think every technology is immediately exploited by how people are going to (laughs) come. But I think it's becoming far more common during COVID when it's a safe way to sexually engage with somebody what became really common at the beginning of covid especially when like we were in severe lockdown and before we understood the ways that we could be like safer with the virus and before there was widespread testing people were going on dates on facetime so you would meet someone on tinder and then you would say okay do you want to have a drink on facetime and then like so many people i knew were doing this it's what you do with your friends and then it was escalating to the point where if people liked each other and then they didn't know if they were going to be able to see each other for months then some people started sleeping together on FaceTime. I interviewed a girl. It was the first episode of my podcast. We talked about it. And what she said was so interesting and surprising, but also understandable, which is that she was like, I find it scarier and more vulnerable to have sex on FaceTime than I do in person. It might be more awkward because it's, it's not natural. Like there's no touching. There's no intimacy. It's all done through a camera. And it's very, it's kind of a weird thing. It's a new thing too for so many people. It's like sex for the first time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's going to be hard for people to come if they're feeling like awkward and uncomfortable drink alcohol yeah i know 
I think that it is sort of awkward, but I think that like regular sex or whatever you're going to call it, in-person sex, that you have to embrace that to an extent. Like I remember the first times that, you know, I had sex when I was a teenager and they were so awkward, but I think sometimes sex is supposed to be clumsy and awkward and that's sort of fun. And I think that if you can accept that and be playful about it and feel comfortable with the other person, then that's okay. And I think that if you feel like you're going to have FaceTime sex with someone and you don't trust them enough or feel comfortable enough with them that like feeling a little awkward is okay, it may be that you shouldn't have sex with that person. I also understand why it would be more vulnerable. I mean, this is something I was saying to her was that when you have sex in person, I mean, this is not things that I should have been advising, but there are things that I have definitely done. And I think a lot of people have done where you can like go out to a bar, have a few drinks, be tipsy, sort of like go to some, back to someone's house, turn the lights off and like have sex where you're not even being seen, where you can like literally be facing the other direction. Obviously, that's not the most intimate type of sex. Um, my friend told me that his dad gave him this advice when he was a teenager, which I think is incredible advice, which is if you can't have sex with the lights on, looking at someone in the eyes, then you shouldn't be having sex with that person. And I was like, wow, I never followed that advice. But I feel like in the age of FaceTime, I think that that advice is actually pretty applicable. And I I guess everybody needs to look at it like this other person on the other side of the phone may be new to this too. Maybe they never had phone sex before this. And you know what? What? You've had a one month relationship with this person virtually and you've never met them in person. What's the worst that can happen? Shit goes bad. Okay. (laughs) Don't speak with them again. I feel like it's just like anything in life, I guess. If you're going to do it, do it and just roll with the punches and don't hold back. Yeah, I actually think that that is like truly the greatest advice because I think that people don't think of sex like that. This is something I talk about ad nauseum, but I think that in every aspect of our lives growing up, you know, we're told try new things. Failure makes you stronger, like whether it's your sports or your career or with friends where it's like, it's not always going to work out, but like whatever, then if it like went badly, whether it was like with a new friend or sports or a job, it's like, it's a learning experience and you'll know better next time. But with sex, we're told like, be safe or you're going to end up traumatized or dead, you know? And like, especially for women, like if you have a bad sexual experience, we're told that you might never get over that. And which is so crazy. It's like, why would sex be the one aspect of our lives where that would be the case and with everything else on earth it's the opposite yeah well you're very open in your book and transparent about your past so how did you find the confidence in yourself to just not care about the potential criticism that you would come into and I'm sure you probably have from quite a few people yeah something that's so great about writing is that you can just write alone in your apartment and like kind of forget that other people are going to read it and then just like (laughs) upload it to the internet and be like bye and you know what I mean it's so much easier to write something that it is to say it to their face so that's at least one helpful hurdle well could you just also tell the listeners as you're answering this what were the type of things that you were open about in your book so they can understand like why you're opening yourself up to potential criticism right right basically the book is about female sexuality but it's sort of both about reclaiming the word slut and then told through like the narrative of my own personal experience half memoir i guess you would say and then It goes from growing up in a more conservative, religious, Catholic family that was like, don't have sex until you're married. And then, you know, as a reaction to that, (laughs) being like, I'm going to have sex with everybody. And then sort of (laughs) being a slutty Catholic teen, which is a major cliche. And then I moved away and then I eventually ended up working as a dominatrix for a while. Or I guess I was like a dominatrix's assistant first because I met her to write about her. Got to work your way up in every industry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's like, can you please butt plugs? I was like, sure. Oh, we're going to have to talk about that. (laughs) 
I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I was like very much like, can you hand me that torture <laughs> tool? I was like, okay. I was like the worst dominatrix in the world because it's not like my natural inclination. I'm like, like looking over my shoulder because of my parents' house. I'm like, please don't be listening. But like, because I told them, I was like, you're not allowed to read my book. So, but I think they know anyway. Let's be honest. Do they care? I think that they did. They definitely did a lot at the time. And now they're just like, whatever like she got a career out of it yeah you have a career and you're not dead so it's all fine but so I was writing for Vice at the time about sexuality and then I proposed interviewing this dominatrix like she had like a good reputation in New York she'd been like a long-standing dominatrix and then I interviewed her and went followed her around and was in her dungeon for a couple days and she was like oh you're really good like you feel really comfortable here would you be down for me to pay you to just sit and watch sessions. I'll pay you $50 an hour. And I was like, yeah. And basically, it wasn't like all day, every day. She would do like a handful of sessions a week. So I would come to some of them. But she was basically saying that some clients will pay extra to have someone watching, like a civilian. They would call them civilians because it's like makes it more embarrassing if someone knows what's going on, basically. So if there was like, she had a more exhibitionist client or someone who's like into humiliation, I would come and sit there and just watch. And then Eventually, it escalated to being like, would you want to help a little bit, you know? She wrote you in. Yeah, exactly. She wrote me in. And then by the end of it, she'd be like, I have this client who's like really annoying and I don't want to see him anymore because I don't have time. Do you? And I was like, 100%. I don't have any money. So I would like see the people that she didn't like. Wow. Crazy. So that was one thing. Yeah. So that was like, what, a little three-month stint or how long was that? I would say that was like probably for about a year. I was like just helping out for a while. It was not like an all day every day. It would be like eventually, you know, once a week or something like that. Did you actually have to sleep with them then? You don't. So basically what's interesting about that whole world is that it's set up for women to be able to more easily set boundaries, sexual boundaries than in other areas of the sex industry where there is no penetrative sex. And actually like, you know, like a lot of women work out of dungeons. So you know, like a BDSM dungeon is yeah, but we're going to need some more details on that. Okay. So like, you know what a brothel is? Where it's like, most people know that word. So mm-hmm. you men go in and you like choose a woman to sleep with or you have a woman you're sleeping with. So like, if you take that format and basically it's the same thing except with BDSM, except it's legal because people aren't sleeping with anybody technically. So men can go to a dungeon and then there's all these different themed rooms usually like there's one room that's like a bedroom and then there's one room that's like a medical exam room and then there's one room that's like oh like one of those classic like leather you know so is there a red room there is always a red room and i'm like i don't even know what that means the red room is such a thing i mean this whole movie's about him oh right the red room that's what it is christian gray okay duh okay i'm like it's got to be taken from yeah like BDSM where there's rooms that usually are like red and velvet. Well, red's such a sexual color. It's supposed to be like this fiery color that gets you in the mood. Totally. Like the color of passion. Yeah. (laughs) But so like in these dungeons, for example, it's like it's not legal at all to have penetrative sex. You're not even allowed to have like dildos or anything like that. And then sometimes there's like just girls working at the dungeon. They're like house girls. So like guys can go in and say like, oh, I want a session with her. But then also there's just rooms you can rent. So if you're a freelance dominatrix in New York, you can be like, oh, I want to rent the medical room with my client. So there's like rules in these places where it's like you can't even have 
like a dildo or a strap on because you're not allowed to penetrate anybody in any way because then it becomes like illegal where seeing a dominatrix is legal for the reason that you're not having sex because you're not allowed to exchange money for sex in this country but you are allowed to exchange money for like basically everything right up to the line of it you know well there's many other things that can be done Right. It's like, well, dominatrix, like most guys by the end want to come. So if you're paying someone to make you come, it's just like the boundaries are so stupid. Well, speaking of like paying for things, you spoke in your book about your time as an escort. And this is something that we never really saw growing up in our small towns. And it's always been something that's kind of like hidden away from the spotlight. What did you learn about yourself and others from doing this? And can you give us a few insights as to what that world is all about? So basically, like, I, I'm like so, I have like anxiety about my mom, my parents listening. I'm like 35, like hiding in my bedroom, like, mom, shut up, mom, phone. Love it. So good. I know. But basically, like, there has been a phenomenon in the past handful of years about young women being on websites called sugar daddy websites. Have you ever heard of this? Yeah. I get those Instagram messages all the time saying, I want to be your sugar daddy. Can you be my sugar baby? And I'm like, what? Really? From strangers? My 15-year-old sister got one from a stranger. And she lives in Texas. Her page is her and her little young boyfriend and her volleyball games. And someone's like, be my sugar baby. I'm like, leave my sister alone. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah, it's like such a part of the the cultural lexicon, like the name sugar baby, which I think like has a lot of different connotations. Like when people ask you that, Sophie, what do you feel like they're asking? asking you to pay for things for me and like be this superior person i feel like it's they're trying to satisfy their ego by feeling like okay i can pay for whatever you want is this what you were on were you on a sugar baby website is that how you got started into trying out escorting yeah basically it's these websites that link older men to younger women you know to generalize but i mean almost exclusively and the idea is that you form a quote-unquote mutually beneficial relationship where You're dating someone with the expectation that they're going to buy you things. But realistically, it's sort of like a legal loophole because the idea is that, oh, I'm I'm dating someone and then they like take me to Broadway shows and maybe they'll help me pay my rent and they'll buy me a fancy handbag. But like realistically, what ends up happening is that, you know, it's often just like an envelope full of money. (laughs) I'm literally going to do this because like I feel like I'm like not... (laughs) This is so good. She's under a blanket. I know. I had to go under I a blanket. I actually did a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. Dad, if you're listening, turn it off next episode. So don't worry. I'm right there with you. We're going to put an R to symbol on this one. <laughs> I know. So this is what it's like to be like home for like Thanksgiving. I'm like hiding in like my bedroom from like when I was a teenager, like whispering on the phone. Um, so basically the site is used it's like has to like the language has to be in a gray area otherwise it would be illegal right so what ends up happening is that i think that that's like a kind of a gateway drug for young women because you can sort of be like oh i'm not in the sex industry i'm just like dating a guy who's helping me out financially and it does like operate like a dating site in that someone messages you or you message them and then you start talking for a while and if you feel like you're getting along then You meet up like in a public place. This is generally how it works. And then, you know, you meet for lunch and then you see basically whether or not you get along and then like also what each other are offering. Because like almost across the board, it's like men looking that they want to have like a sexual relationship where you're going on dates, you're going out to dinner and then you're going home and having sex. Like that's pretty much what they want. And then as a woman, you have to be like assessing, okay, do I like you enough to sleep with you? And then like, what am I going to get out of it? 
But did you ever meet anyone who was really creepy and like, you're like, all right, I'm leaving? Yeah, for sure. It wasn't like the dominant experience. Like, it wasn't just like a fucking minefield creep fest. Well, <laughs> was it? <laughs> Is it just guys trying to get with girls out of their league so they know they've got to, like, put something up for it? Yeah, and it's, like, I think some guys are like that. And then, also, there's some really, really nice people. Like, I met some great people. Like, I met, like, this one guy that I met was, like, so hot and nice that I was, like, wait, if I met you at a bar, I would have slept with you without, like, any perks. You know win. I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was, like, wait, am I, I'm the luckiest girl a lot. But it's definitely, I would say that you have to have like your radar up for sure in that department because there's a lot of guys who are also looking to like take advantage of 18 year old girls or college girls who don't have good boundaries or don't know how to say no yet. And there's this horrible thing that guys do on the site a lot where they'll be like, okay, well, I really want to start. It's like they call it an allowance, meaning like how much money you get like every time you hang out or per month. And they're like, I really want to start putting you on an allowance, but I just really want to make sure like we get to know each other first and we get along and then like they'll sleep with girls and then ghost them. This is crazy. This is crazy. So another thing in your book that you talked about is you hooked up with women. Even though you are predominantly straight, you were on a sexual exploration and you said, I'm going to hook up with women. So tell us about that. Tell us if maybe it changed any bit of intimacy for you. Obviously, women love differently than men. And I'm just wondering, you know, what this experience was like for you. Honestly, that yeah, that's a good question because it really back and <laughs> back, back under the covers. <laughs> this is my own personal studio. But like, yeah, I always was like there was a little bit of me that was attracted to women when I was growing up, like small little crushes that I think when you're younger you just like are confused about if you have a crush on this person or if you're just really good friends and want to hang out with them all the time. But then I had a couple casual sexual experiences when I was in my twenties and then when I was twenty seven I met this woman who I just just really liked. And it just like was not, it was unambiguous this time where I was like, oh my God, I just really, I have like sexually attracted to this person. So we started dating and we ended up dating for like three years. Wow. Yeah, like I've only other had serious relationships with men. But, you know, after her, I think my eyes were a bit more open to like the possibility and I had like a couple other sort of like shorter dating things. But the question about sex is really interesting because it's such a cliche again. But when... I started dating her I was like so much easier to come during sex wow I think I just felt more comfortable with her like you know sometimes if you're having sex and it can be hard to come because you're like in your head or like feeling insecure or like I think also as women we're like programmed to like sometimes put a man's pleasure before our own you know and then like I definitely was like that where I was like are they having a good time are they having a good time and definitely like I still was like that a little bit like with women I wasn't like self suddenly like switched and was selfish or anything but I think I was like felt more comfortable being like okay like it might take a long time for me to come and like I'm not that I'm not as worried I don't have as much anxiety about you being annoyed by that or bored because I feel like you get it because you're a woman as well you know what I mean yeah and also you said that you had open relationships do you still play around with that or are you only playing around with monogamous relationships now like what is your thing now I'm in a monogamous relationship I've been dating my boyfriend for like three and a half years maybe but I did have multiple open relationships it's like I regret nothing it just was like very hard I mean I wanted to do it at the time and it was like worth it for me at the time because I just like wasn't ready to be in monogamous relationships at these various points 
I did it with like my girlfriend for like a while. We did it for like eight months or something. But then it, we were like, it's just so hard because it's fun to sleep with other people. But then when your partner sleeps with someone else, you're like, I'm going to burn down your house. Like, yeah, I think I get so jealous. Couldn't cope. I know. What about like not even making a relationship about it? What about like just bringing someone else into bed for the night, stranger, or like a one-time thing? Like, would you ever dabble your toes into that? I have done that too. I think it's like, it's all so specific and person-specific and relationship-specific and time-specific, you know, that it's like, I think that any of these configurations can work and be wonderful for a person or a couple or a group of people. And I think that they can make people extremely uncomfortable and be like a very bad decision for a person or a relationship. So I think for one, what I've learned is like, I had a lot of fun experiences like that when I wasn't the person in the relationship. You know, I think it was like, oh, it was easier for me to sleep with somebody that was like maybe like a couple there was periods in my life where I was like single and like had multiple people that I was like dating, but wasn't like deeply in love with and committed to. And so that I always enjoyed. But then as soon as you're like in love with somebody and then you want to have like a commitment or have them be your primary partner, I would get like jealous and crazy and insecure. I was like completely selfish. I was like, I want to be able to sleep with whoever I want, but you should stay in a cage when I'm gone. Perfect. I don't know. What do you guys think? Would you want to do an open relationship? You know what? I think I would just go psycho. I couldn't do the relationship thing. I heard somebody say this recently and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. I'm a trisexual. I'll try anything once. <laughs> I like that. I never heard of that saying. I think it's so good. I couldn't like allow my boyfriend to have feelings for someone else though I just couldn't do that because I just like I actually think I have such big walls up myself. I don't think I could give that to someone else. So for me to be able to process like he could potentially have feelings for someone else while loving me like just couldn't do that but i don't know trisexual <laughs> we'll see okay so i know that so many young people feel this like ridiculous pressure to be in a relationship because it's often normal especially where i'm from outside of dallas everyone gets into serious relationships and marriages like early 20s like mid 20s so what is your thoughts and advice to people who are still single, like let's say 24, 25, even like 28, 29, all their friends are settling down and what do you think they should look at as a silver lining in this situation? Like what benefits do they have about still being single while all their friends are tied down already? Well, I think that there's a lot of benefits. For one, it's like you get to explore more of your sexuality before settling down. You know, you have a window of time to be a trisexual, which is obviously we've realized is very important. Because once, you know, if you're getting married, I mean, obviously, again, like we've said, some marriages have um, more open boundaries. But traditionally, that means that you, you know, that you're going to be then with one person and you can explore your sexuality, of course, deeply within a relationship. But like, to take advantage of this period of time where you can date around and learn what you like and like have intimate experiences with different people. Like that's so exciting. Even if you're not sleeping with them, even if you're just dating, like that that's so fun and you learn a lot about yourself and other people. And also, I mean, a massive silver lining is that the likelihood that you will get a divorce is like exponentially higher if you get married young. It's crazy. Like getting married in your 30s, the rate of divorce drops I don't even know what the numbers are, but it's like, it's incomparable because you're more settled into sort of like your value system of life where when you're young, it's like you've changed so much and it's so, 
you know, maybe you don't end up hating each other, cheating on each other, but you've just grown apart. And I think that especially if you're having kids young, this is adding a lot of complicating factors to your life. So I think waiting is the way to go. But again, other people, that's not right for them. Yeah, you get to live your life more. The grass is always greener. So if you're in a relationship, you're always thinking, oh, it looks so fun to be single. And then anyone who's single is like, I want a companion so bad. Like, I'm so lonely. And everyone wants what they don't have. You know what I think? I'm going to be the late one compared to all of my friends at home. I mean, my two best friends from high school, one of them got married last summer and one of them's getting married next summer. So I will be that person. But to all the people who are single out there later than all of their friends, I think don't look at it like the grass is always greener because as long as you're happy with your situation, things will come to you when they're supposed to come to you and just embrace the chapter you're in because you know what? Like you're getting a much longer chapter in your 20s than someone who tied themselves down to a relationship and you'll hopefully still get that relationship someday. So just enjoy the chapter of life you're in because the next chapter will come eventually. True. Don't rush it because it's like, it's the biggest, I mean, do you guys know Esther Perel, the famous sex therapist? She's like best-selling author. She's amazing. I recommend her beyond belief. She says this thing where she's like, choosing your partner is like, it's the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. And I was like, at first it comes kind of like, wait, really? And then it's like, when you think about it, it's the choice that impacts every other choice. It's the person you see every morning when you wake up, it impacts your happiness. It's like, if you want to have kids, you're raising your kid with someone that their values will impact and like their decisions will impact the lives of your children, like where you live, how you're treated. I mean, it's not a decision that you should make haphazardly, for sure. Or because like your best friend got married. Yeah, for sure. Well, just before we wrap up, give us two quick tips that come to your mind for the women listening that they can use in bed for their own pleasure. Or maybe on the flip side, a couple little tips that they can use on someone else in bed. Okay, like my main tip number one would be, this is going to sound judgmental, but I really don't mean it to be, is just to not fake orgasms because I faked them so many times and then once you stop you're like what was I doing like because basically if you fake it then the guy thinks that like that's what he should keep doing all the time like he just keeps doing that thing that didn't work and so the real tip is to be able to just be like sexually authentic whether or not you're like you know maybe faking it is the extreme but just to be able to ask for what you want and trust the other person can handle that and then in terms of giving pleasure it's sort of like the same tip but the reverse side of it where like I think something like first of all I think being open and non-judgmental and creating a space where someone feels like they can like be themselves and ask whatever they want is like the greatest gift you can give someone like someone asking for something and you saying like oh that's weird is like the biggest turnoff of all time I mean that doesn't mean you should just be like down for whatever someone wants but like shaming somebody is not good you could be like oh that's not for me but like I totally understand why you would want that yeah. but I think you know, being able to be like, so what are you into? And then being open to hear for real is like the world's greatest sex tip. There you have it, people. Well, Carly, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can find your book and any other information that will lead people your way? Sure. My book is called Slut Ever, S-L-U-T-E-V-E-R. And then I made a documentary series on Viceland that's called Slut Ever as well. But now it's like you can like it's a show you can watch on Amazon Prime. Like you have to buy it. And then also I write a column for Vogue.com called Breathless. Oh yeah, my Instagram is at Carly, K-A-R-L-E-Y, Sledever. At Carly Sledever. Thank you so much, Carly. We've enjoyed having you on here and I'm sure everyone's gonna love this episode. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you guys so much. This was really fun. It was so fun talking to you guys.
All right, guys. So just before we wrap this up, we have a little Q&A moment on every episode and we're going to answer two questions sent into our Instagram page. Let's get into it. So the first one we have is what is your biggest turn off and turn on? Ooh. <laughs> it's getting a bit personal over here, but mm-hmm. my biggest turn off would probably be someone who is really like excessively loud. And you know, like in the movies where you're watching it and they're just like so fucking loud and over the top, making all these like whiny, high pitched noises. It makes me cringe so much. I fucking hate it. And then probably biggest turn on probably confidence i love it when a guy is like very sure of himself and takes the lead you know Mm, love that so my biggest turn on would probably be the same thing confidence i think confidence is so important and a guy who is sure of himself and knows what he's doing and knows what he wants to do and yeah just as confident in himself but my biggest turn off would probably be morning breath maybe yeah that's that's been the same for myself like I don't like to think of my morning breath either like when I'm in bed in the morning I don't know I just I can't handle it also I just thought of another one so funny I love my boyfriend so much we've been together for a while so like this doesn't phase me with him but when they make weird facial expressions oh, <laughs> but, God. yeah I don't know that one's funny to think about sometimes but second question is what is your ideal date night so I'm a homebody at heart I do love being out and about and like going to dinners and especially traveling I love when we're traveling going to dinners and trying new places but when we're at home an ideal date night for me is candles a good movie good takeout food and good dessert most importantly and just spending quality time just the two of us having a little drink maybe getting a good night's sleep like cuddling while we watch a movie like perfect date night for me Mm -hmm. you're gonna think I'm super predictable right now but if someone really wants to make me smile then defo something with animals involved (laughs) (laughs) I'd literally love to go on a dog walk maybe have a picnic somewhere with some nice champagne somewhere really pretty and just keep it really chill because like anything with animals is gonna make me happy but if it was the very first time meeting someone then probably I'd rather go to like a fun bar with food and drinks just to take the edge off the awkward first meeting yeah love it especially a new restaurant that you've never been to that's really fun for a first date I think any guys listening if you're like in touch with the girl and you want to take her out ask her if she's ever heard of this restaurant and if she hasn't be like oh my god one of my favorite spots let me take you there order for them we love that order the meal for them be like i'm gonna get a bunch of things on the menu and let you try my favorite things do you like all of this if she says yes that's so amazing i love that and if it's a new place then you're gonna have that memory as being your first time you ever met in this place you're not gonna have previous memories there so that also makes it a little bit special all right guys thanks for tuning into this really fun episode we hope you loved it we like having conversations that are new and we haven't done a lot of these conversations on this show so we are so happy that you all tuned in and don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a rating and review if you love us thank you and if you have any questions for us you know where to find us on our instagram we are there at the not so simple life podcast make sure you come back next tuesday we will have a brand new episode for you